In 2018, Victor Muller Ferreira graduated from Trinity College Dublin with an honours degree in political science and quantitative research. In a photograph taken at his graduation, he can be seen in his black Trinity robes, smiling, having just received his scroll. As he walks away from the podium, you can see three university officials clapping their hands joyfully. It must have been a big day for Victor, who'd spent the previous four years studying for his degree while teaching English to foreign students on the side. He was, as he told everyone, a Brazilian national, eager to further his education and his prospects in Ireland. Except Victor was not his real name and his entire identity was a lie. Trinity College Dublin has a long list of famous alumni. Now they can count among them a Russian spy. Five years later, we now know that Victor's real name is Sergei Vladimirovich Cherkasov. He was currently serving a 15-year sentence in Brazil for travelling on false documents and several counts of fraud. Now he's facing fresh charges in the US for operating as an agent of a foreign power, or in simpler terms, a Russian spy. But why did his work on behalf of the Russian Federation bring him to Ireland in the first place? And if he went completely unnoticed in those four years, surely he's not the only student spy here. I'm Bernice Harrison, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, the strange story of Sergei Cherkasov, the spy who went to Trinity. Today. I'm joined by Simon Carswell, the Irish Times public affairs editor. Simon, Sergei Cherkasov, who graduated from Trinity with a degree in politics in 2018, is facing serious charges in the US. What's he been accused of? Well, the US government announced on Friday that it charged Cherkasov with seven criminal counts, among them acting as an illegal agent of a foreign power, namely Russia, or more specifically, Russian intelligence. And arising from his work as an alleged spy, He's also been charged with identity theft, fraud and making false statements. Now, in a court filing last week um, in a court in Washington, D.C., an unnamed FBI special agent claimed that Cherkasov had entered the U.S. under a fake identity and gathered information from American citizens in late 2021 about the then imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine. He's accused of collecting intelligence and passing it on to his Russian handlers between 2017 and 2021. What's fascinating about this case is in a 46-page US indictment document, it contains the most remarkable information about how a Russian spy allegedly operates. So if we could just go back to the beginning, who is Sergei Cherkasov? You know, what do we know about him? Well, there are two people here, or at least two identities. The real one, according to the FBI's case, his name is Sergei Vladimirovich Cherkasov. He's believed to be 37 years of age. He was born in Kaliningrad, that's the Russian province that's sandwiched between Poland and Lithuania on the Baltic Sea. Now, photographs presented in the FBI's case show Cherkasov dressed in military uniforms dating back to 2011. We know from the Dutch intelligence agency, which released information last year, that Cherkasov was a member of Russian military intelligence agency, the GRU. Now, the other identity 
that some people in Ireland might know Cherkasov as is as Victor Muller Freire. This is the fake identity that he's alleged to have used as a spy in Ireland and in the United States. And it's the alias he used when he was studying politics in Dublin and Trinity College from 2014 to 2018 when he graduated. And he subsequently used this alias when he studied for a master's degree in US foreign policy at the prestigious Johns Hopkins University's School of Advanced International Studies in Washington, D.C. But as Victor Muller Ferreira here, his fellow students in Trinity, they would have thought he was Brazilian, not Russian. Yeah, and so what he did was he created this backstory and it dates back to 2010 when he went into Brazil on a Russian passport. And that's really seems to be, from what we know so far, the beginning of his spying career. We don't know exactly what he did in Brazil, but it would appear that this was part of building this identity so that he could use to develop a plausible backstory for his future work as a spy. In the business of espionage, the false identity created is known as a legend. And according to the FBI, these intelligence officers, they call them illegals. They're essentially sleeper agents. And over years, they develop these elaborate cover stories. And they'll assume identities as citizens or legal residents of countries. They'll take degrees at universities, they'll get jobs, they'll join professional bodies. And all this is done to enhance the legend. Um, so illegals may steal the false identity from another individual or create an identity from a deceased person or falsely identify real people in foreign countries to provide this veneer of legitimacy. When he visited Brazil in 2010 uh, to allegedly create this fraudulent identity, this Victor Muller Ferreira, and we know that uh, from, from the information that's put out in the public domain, that in 2009, a birth cert was issued in the name of Victor Muller Ferreira on according that birth certificate, his birth mother was a Brazilian national with a death certificate in 2010. But then we also know that relatives of this woman have said that she'd never given birth. So that's how he created this false identity, this guise of Victor Muller Ferreira. So you mentioned the filings in Washington and they say that he was feeding information back to Moscow as far back as 2017. Well, that means when he was, you know, in third year in Trinity. So we know now, I suppose, that he was operating as a spy when he was here. Uh, or maybe it was in a minor way. We don't know. Or was it was it the long game, in effect, to get him into the US, do you think? Well, it would appear that his study in Ireland was part of building that credible backstory to strengthen his case, to be accepted eventually into a US university and to secure a coveted US visa, which would obviously be a prize for a Russian spy. And it's part of building up that fake identity, you know, gathering multiple qualifications and credentials to make the spy's life story more plausible. So studying at Trinity, a university that's well known and credible in the United States, and being in a Western friendly country like Ireland would certainly strengthen his hand and been able to travel to the US to study, to work and to spy. Um, what's interesting about the documents that were filed last week is that he, he really used what he developed here in Ireland to get into the United States. For example, in his application to Johns Hopkins University, he used 2018 bank records from Bank of Ireland, which showed that he had more than €66,000 in an Irish bank account. And you have to prove that you have the financial wherewithal to be able to look after yourself and to pay your tuition fees when you're in the US. So they would have read that and gone to Trinity College, pretty well-known university. Um, so yeah, I mean, that would all help and really push um, his case when it came to trying to secure a place in an American university. When he was in Trinity... He, what did his classmates make of him? Well, from what we know from the what's what 
students, and unnamed students, they haven't identified themselves, have said about his time at Trinity is that he was private, unassuming, intelligent and quiet. People noticed that he had an unusual accent, but didn't really lead to suspicion. Some at Trinity didn't suspect anything. One fellow student was quoted in media saying he thought he was a man of Brazilian nationality with a Germanic name, but that wasn't out of the ordinary. This student believed that there were plenty of Germans who travelled to South America in the 1940s, for example. So they just thought that this, okay, it's unusual, but maybe it's not out of the ordinary. So in a way, his backstory worked, certainly um, made people believe that this was a genuine Brazilian national study in Ireland. So the whole thing, uh, he was rumbled, in effect, because he applied for an internship which, I mean, he's quite old to be applying for an internship, but he applied for an internship at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. It all came undone in April 2020 um, when he did, when he tried to essentially infiltrate the International Criminal Court. Um, he arrived, uh, travelled to The Hague in the Netherlands um, in an attempt to start that internship. And when uh, he arrived, he was denied entry and returned to Brazil. And that's when all this information came out from the Dutch intelligence agency. They released quite a bit. So they blocked him from gaining access to the court in The Hague. And they revealed him as being a spy, being as a, me- a member of that Russian intelligence agency, the GRU. And they classified Cherkasov and the GRU operation as a high-level threat. And so returned to Brazil, he was arrested there and he's now serving time in a Brazilian prison. And Simon, why do you think that he chose the International Criminal Court as his next target? Well, the International Criminal Court has been investigating possible war crimes committed by Russia and Ukraine following its invasion in February 2022. And earlier this month, the court issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, for unlawful deportation and transfer of children during the Russian invasion. So given that Putin was the target of the court, it's plausible that Putin would want his spies, spies like Cherkasov, to know what the court was doing about the Russian war in Ukraine. Now, when he was caught in the Netherlands, he was carrying computer hard drives, and there was a lot of incriminating information on those drives, including one document which summarised his fake story, or, or legend, as it's called. What kind of details were there? Well, what's remarkable about all the documents that were found in Cherkasov's possession was shows how far he went with his backstory so as to explain, you know, who he was, where he came from and this kind of fake um, fake identity that he created. So, for example, he said he had this whole backstory about why he could not stand the smell of fish. He said that in contrast to Brazilians who love seafood, he couldn't stand it because he claimed to be from a port city in Brazil. And for the obvious explanation as to why he looked like a German person or an Eastern European person, he explained that people would, this story about how people would joke about him and call him gringo. So this was all information that was developed about this fraudulent person and fake backstory. So he could say things that would make uh, his situation plausible and make people believe, like they did in Dublin, that he was a Brazilian, uh, Brazilian national. Now, also on these drives, and this kind of makes me think that he may not have been the smartest spy in the world because there was correspondence between him and his handler. What kind of you know insight does that give us into how the Russian spies operate? Well, the information that he was caught with suggests he didn't cover his tracks quite as well as he should have. And the FBI's case against him states that Russian intelligence regularly uh, communicated with him as they do with the legals covertly and they provide them with tasks and payments for expenses. And the details outlined in the FBI's case was it showed that 
he had a very intense and close relationship with his Russian handlers. At one point, he talked about getting permission from uh, an individual, a contact known as Diver. He wanted to get permission from that individual to marry a woman. And the FBI said that this is telling of the control that Russian intelligence commands over the lives of their illegals. And certainly the risk that Cherkasov was undertaking by marrying someone who was not a spy. There's also really interesting information about how spies operate and what, uh, what's commonly known as dead drops or hiding places. These are locations where spies leave communications where a handler can later retrieve information or material that they've got and uncover messages. And that's consistent with the tradecraft as it's known, the techniques and methods used in modern espionage. And in, in Cherkasov's case, he was leaving messages uh, discussing hiding places for equipment off a trail in a jungle area near, near Sao Paulo in Brazil. So it went into some significant detail. What's interesting about the Irish angle on this is that we've seen um, email messages that were contained within the FBI's case that at one point in 2016, Cherkasov received 750 euro into the, his Bank of Ireland bank account while living in Dublin in the name of Ferreira. And this was sent from a Russian individual working at the Russian consulate in Brazil. And those communications show that Cherkasov was clearly taking directions from a Russian consul or Russian his Russian handlers during the period when he was living in Dublin and studying at Trinity. And what's interesting about that 2016 communication before the money was transferred, there seems a very cryptic message sent from the Russian consul to Cherkasov in Dublin saying, it seems your father is worried for not receiving any news from you. Send him news, which is clearly some sort of signal that you need to get back in touch with a certain handler. So, Simon, he'd done the work in Ireland. He'd done his degree here. He'd obviously, you know, it was obviously successful. We've seen the picture of him graduating from Trinity. The application to apply to America, to a prestigious American university, was that then perceived as a win for the spy? Cherkasov saw that as a major success. And we know that from some of the correspondence that was uh, included in the FBI's uh, complaint to the, to the court. He, he was thrilled to get a place in American University and the potential that that brought. It gave him a US visa. And in one, in a number of exchanges with his handler, he, he expresses his delight. He says in one message, we fucking did it. I can't believe it, bro. We put ourselves on top of the hill. OMG. And then in another follow-up message, he expresses his excitement at receiving a U.S. visa, mainly because of the prospects that this would lead to obtaining U.S. citizenship and a job in the U.S. So it really strengthens his hand as a future spy operating in the United States. And he told his handler, man, I got it. I fucking got it. I'll send the sky today. The work is done. We will go to the U.S. We will go there with a the status of a fucking top dude with the fantastic work perspectives, citizen perspectives. We go there being welcomed. We won, bro. Now we are in the big boys league. I'll continue my conversation with Simon Carswell after this short break. Is there anything in the documents about, and I presume this is why, why the US uh, authorities are so focused on it, was he operating as a spy there? Like, is this like another episode of The Americans? You know, like, because we're, we're learning, you know, a lot of what we know about spycraft is from the telly. Well, it is. And uh, as I was reading this 46-page document, it just, the, the my whole memory of, of watching The Americans came back. It's very, very accurate, very loyal to what's happening in real life with Cherkasov. And in the US, Cherkasov, yes, he developed his cover story. He gained a US degree. He built this legend. He collected intelligence and he passed this intelligence on to, to, to his Russian handlers. And using this 
alias Ferreira. He applied for numerous jobs in the US. He looked to get work in several international organizations, including the UN. He applied for sensitive positions at US companies that required security clearance. He applied for US universities, even applied for a job at a US media outlet and applied for a position in the US government. And we know from the contacts, as outlined in the FBI's case, that he, he, he contacted a State Department employee, someone who worked in Capitol Hill, an Israel expert, a U, US Naval Academy professor and others. So this was a very active Russian intelligence officer working his contacts in the US. And we know that he was there at a critical time for the Russians. The Russians wanted to know how the US would react if the Russians invaded Ukraine. And so he was doing that critical groundwork as a spy in the latter half of 2021 when Moscow would want to know how Washington was going to react to that very aggressive military action against its neighbour in Ukraine. So, Simon, you know, you've told us how hard he worked to establish his legend and, you know, to build up a, a perfectly plausible backstory, all that. So on that level, he was good at the spy business. But do we have any idea? Did he provide any useful information back to Moscow? Well, the legal papers in this case suggest he did get good intelligence from a wide variety of sources. And he was a busy spy, if I could put it like that, mining information in the US while he was studying at Johns Hopkins University in Washington, D.C. He himself says to one of his handlers, he said, I was working my contacts to find out what academic community, political advisors and analysts think about the recent military buildup near the Ukrainian border. And he said, I was especially aiming to find out what their advice to the administration is. And from the papers that were filed in court, it does appear that he did get some useful information. Some of it might have been quite general, you know, talks on campus, uh, talks with professors on the fringes, of conferences or in the uh, after classes but we know uh, my own experience from being a Washington correspondent um is that that's a very small pool in 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 Washington there's a lot of kind of to and fro between uh, government between the White House administration and academics and think tanks. You see a lot of very senior government figures giving talks at think tanks. You see very senior government figures appearing at universities. So it's a very uh, fertile pool of information that Cherkasov would be tapping into. So yes, he did get good information. However, the, the papers point to the fact that he just was very poor in terms of leaving a trail of information, being caught with a hard drive with all of this information um, by, by, by the Dutch authorities and, and by the Brazilian authorities when he was rumbled, suggests that he wasn't a good spy and he should have been using his dead drops and hiding places more efficiently. Now, Simon, Cherkasov, he wasn't rumbled in Ireland. Uh, Dutch intelligence did that. This year, we had the case of the Russian-Irish woman, Marina Sologub, who grew up in Cork and she moved to Australia in 2020. And, you know, among the many things she did, she helped establish the Irish Space Industry Group in 2014. And she went to Australia and she, she tried to get into Australia. She was identified by Australian authorities as a security threat to them. So are our security service, our counterintelligence services, I suppose you call them, uh, you know, are they, are they good at finding spies or what's... Well, I think it was the evidence would suggest they're not well equipped. I mean, the, as you say, these were Russian, alleged Russian spies who were rumbled by foreign intelligence agencies. Actually, and what's notable about the 46-page indictment that was filed in court, there's very few references to Ireland. And this is a man who had significant involvement in Ireland. So there's a gap in this indictment where there's very little reference to Ireland. But I don't think our counterintelligence services are well equipped. You know, even the case of uh, Zologob, 
there's no screening or vetting. She got jobs uh, working in the houses of the Oireachtas for people and she didn't wasn't checked for the job she she did. So that was something that really should have been done. We should have these kind of vetting checks that are carried out in the States, for example, to get security clearance. You have to jump through major hoops to try and prove that you're legit. You have to tell an awful lot about your backstory. And so we don't have that in this country. So... Could there be more Cherkasovs? I mean, it, it strikes me that there could be uh, enrolled in colleges specifically around the country. Well, there could well be, certainly at other universities around the world and certainly universities in Western-friendly countries. And it would seem from Cherkasov methods that they were tried and tested by Russian intelligence. So this was not a one-off case. Um, this was clearly following particular tradecraft. This is something they do. So uh, I'm sure there are other Cherkasovs in other colleges uh, around the world. And has Trinity commented at all about this? After all, you know, this is a guy who enrolled in a very high points course as a mature student. I think he, he would have been well into his 20s when he enrolled there under a fake name with a fake background. You know, have they commented at all? Trinity has said nothing. They said it can't comment as the university is bound by GDPR regulations. Those are the EU data privacy rules that protect the identities of people. Um, So they haven't said anything. So he's in Brazil... There's a separate court case in the U.S. So he, what, what can happen there, though? Well, so it's quite common for the U.S. to indict someone overseas, particularly if they've discovered that they were operating illegally or, or, or committing criminal offences in the United States. That might point to the maybe the U.S. will look to extradite him from Brazil to the United States. Maybe there's concern on the part of the Americans because the Russians are very actively trying to to get uh, Cherkasov back to Russia. They're trying to repatriate him. Now, they've claimed in Brazil that Cherkasov's wanted on drug trafficking charges dating back several years. The US believes that's a ruse to try and get him back. They believe that's false and they believe they're essentially just trying to get their spy back. And of course, there is a history of spy swaps, isn't there? Like in 2010, there was the big spy swap. Yeah, it's common in espionage that they'd swap assets, they'd swap uh, captured spies. It's not clear if that's... Uh, what's happening in this case, it seems to be um, very early stages of US trying to really take control of this and, 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 and take custody of this spy and possibly try and find more information about him. So do you know what's going to happen to Sergei Cherkasov now? Well, he's spending 15 years, he's been sentenced to 15 years in a Brazilian prison for identity theft and fraud. And this indictment suggests that the US might be making moves to extradite him to the US or certainly to charge him um, in absentia. But I'd imagine that this might be the start of a, a longer play by the Americans. And it kind of comes at a time when um, international organisations are keen and, and Western organisations are keen to expose Russian activities when it comes to espionage. And the timing of this is really interesting. It comes at a time of huge geopolitical tension uh, with, the, with the war in Ukraine. So this is Western intelligence uh, agencies taking matters into their own hands and disclosing what the Russians are doing in the shadows. Thanks very much, Simon. Thanks, Bernice. Last year for In the News, Irish Times crime and security correspondent Conor Gallagher reported on the Russian presence in Ireland and whether Russia could run a spy network out of its Dublin embassy. You can listen to that episode of In the News wherever you get your podcasts. For more Irish Times journalism, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan.
Sergey. Oh, <clears throat> Simon. I was calling you Sergey. Um, Don't reveal my, my, <laughs> my status as double agent, please. 